You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today is a little bit of All-Star and a lot of bit of contracts. Sorry I was on vacation, so I'm a day late on the All-Star stuff, but I'm going to talk about Tyrese Halberton making Rising Stars his event, how he did in the game, how he did in the Clutch Challenge, what it all could mean for the Pacers, especially because if you haven't read it, Indie Stars' James Boyd asked all the All-Stars, or most of them, there what they thought of Tyrese Halberton, and they all had great quotes about that trade and how Halberton's career trajectory goes. That's why All-Star events matter more so than the event itself. For these kind of players. And then we're talking contracts. A lot of contracts. The question I get the most. How can the Pacers re-sign Jalen Smith? What will that look like? I'll break that all down. What I think the best case scenario for the Pacers is. And what Jalen Smith's probably looking at. And then Tristan Thompson's buyout is official. How did those numbers shake out? How did it work out for Thompson? The Pacers, the Bulls. We got a lot to get into today. But let's start with the rising star himself. Mr. Tyrese Halberton. And Chris Duarte was also there. He got introduced as a player in the event. He got named. His team played. They did not do well, but it was cool to see him there. It was cool to see him and Halberton there. So cool for Chris Duarte just to be there, uh, which is, you know, given his career arc and and what was thought, you know, he was needed. His team needed him in that game, but it was just cool to see him there. But Halberton was the show and was everything for the Pacers there. He was playing for Team Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, the, the actual Isaiah Thomas, not the younger one who is in the NBA now, was his coach, and he really showed up. They played the first game his team won because of him. Uh, not directly, obviously, but you know, at the end of the game, the, the, the first of all, to speak on the new all-star format for stuff, this is how the Rising Stars game should be. Elam ending, they played to 50 in the first game and 25 in the second game. I hate that that can end on a free throw, but it was really cool because, you know, it was kind of, it wasn't, they weren't coasting, but for the first 45 or so points, you know, it's kind of just like, haha, all-star fun. And then when it was like, okay, two baskets and you win, everybody locked in and it was really fun. And Tyrese's team was losing at the end of the game and uh, the, the team they were playing at 48 and he fouled Jalen Suggs on a, on a pretty easy layup and Suggs missed a free throw and then, you know, they ended up winning. So Hal Burton's foul ended up sealing the game. He told James, you know, you can watch the, the media availabilities on the Pacers YouTube. No easy buckets. You know, they're, they're, they're going to win that game. And he had seven assists in that first game. He had two points, four rebounds, seven assists. Went crazy with the assists. He was the only guy to have seven assists in any game for – for any team in the event, uh, he had the first bucket uh, for his his first bucket. Excuse me, was a nice dunk off a steal. Seems a ten point lead, but it doesn't matter because his key foul came in clutch. And then Desmond Bain, Andy native from Richmond, hits the game winning free throw, which was lame. I think it's lame you can win an Elam ending game on a free throw, but Desmond Bain hits the winner. And then they do this new thing called the clutch challenge, where they had two guys, two rising stars, recreate these historic shots like Ray Allen's three for the heat against the Spurs and Reggie Miller's three ironically on the right wing coming around you know when he pushed off Jordan uh that one was one of them uh you know, it was really cool though Dame's really long three was one of them uh Magic's flo- or hook in the lane was one of my can't remember what the last one was but basically the the pairs of rising stars you know one of the teams was Scotty Barnes Scotty Barnes and um and Tyrese Max, you know, they had to make a shot from all five spots as fast as possible. Uh, and Halliburton and Bain were an unfair team because they had the best shooters and best guys with touch. And Halliburton hit the first four shots, and then Bain hit the the Dame three from forever. And I thought Bain was going to hit the corner three and the Reggie three. He missed both. Halliburton saved his team, but they won that. That was really cool. 
There's a bunch of cool pictures of him doing that. And then he plays in the championship game. Uh, they did not win. <laughs> that game they lose pretty badly. He had four rebounds, four assists, two steals. He was the only guy in in the Rising Stars competitions until it was two games. It was very new and different. He was the only guy who had more than 10 assists in total. I think if they won, he would have had a shot at MVP. Cade Cunningham ended up winning it in the end. But he played pretty well uh, in the games. And they were actually more competitive than I thought. Like saying he played well or didn't well actually matters a little bit. Like if you watch the All-Star game, you know, Steph having 50 points and all this stuff happening. Like guys were actually trying with these new ending scores and the charity donations and all that. These they're 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 not like real games in terms of competitiveness, but they're not cupcake games like they used to be. The old All Star game was a joke. So Halliburton does very well. Won the only in- individual event he did. Won a game, made it to the finals, and got a ton of love from All Stars. I highly encourage you to read James Boyd's story on that. And, and Tyrese said, you know, beyond the Rising Stars game, which is for the fans, that he wants to be back. Like the real reason you're at All-Star Weekend to be an All-Star. And obviously, if you're a fan, that's what you want to hear. You have to imagine he'll be there a couple times in his career. He's already looking like a potential you know, 20-10 and 10 guy for this Pacers team. And and their point guard of the future, he was you know, the perfect representation for the team and you know, did, did some fun media stuff. So I highly encourage you to check that all out. And the new All-Star format, a lot of good stuff, some not so great stuff. I like the new Rising Stars with fun challenges. The new skills challenge is a little weird, but... You know, they had to change it after Sabonis walked away with the competition last year. But uh, it's pretty fun. The three-point contest has always been fun. The All-Star game itself with the new Elam endings is fun. Basically, everything but the dunk contest is cool now, to me. I love the Elam endings. I love the way it allows guys to interact and be fun, but also still have an interesting game. The NBA 75 stuff with all the legends were cool. Larry Bird, Pacers exec, could not be there. Read Scott Agnes and Fieldhouse Files for more on that. So he was the only guy within the Pacers org who would have been there for that Reggie was obviously there doing some announcing as well uh so that was really cool like all this was a really cool all-star weekend in general because of the history side of it and because they tweaked some of the lesser events but the dunk contest is the last thing that needs changing I don't know what they do but it's just boring now to me like I I didn't even watch it I watched the highlights after but the dunks just aren't exciting anymore I don't really care about the dunk contest but I liked all the other events I liked all the changes that the NBA made and from the Pacers perspective to see Halliburton do very well on a stage like that in front of, you know, everybody who's watching the league. Like All Star Weekend's a big deal, and you got to, to be. You know, usually it's kind of like a flirting thing too. Like, hey, you know, when you're a free agent, like let's team up someday, blah blah blah. And the Pacers can have Halliburton for a while, and it's not really recruiting in the Rising Stars game. Those guys are all usually going to be restricted free agents very soon. There's a couple exceptions, like Jay Sean Tate, for example, but. Uh, you know, it's always good to be there for the name recognition, for the brand exposure, and obviously for the team that you're on to get a little more national exposure there. And Halburn did a great job taking all that in stride and you know, played well, played with a lot of good players, looked good doing it. The Pacers have to be happy with how it all worked out. And Duarte got to go as well and and meet a bunch of people and put his face on stuff. So all in all, good all-star weekend for the Pacers. And the biggest takeaway of anything, Tyrese Halburn did not get hurt in the action, and he will be back when the all-star break is over. Let's move on and talk about not recapping all-star events. That's the only – it's weird that the Pacers didn't have anyone in the all-star game for once. I mean, they've had one there. Outside the PG injury season, they've had someone in the all-star game since like 2010, 2009. It's been a long time. So very atypical break for the Pacers. But let's move on. We're talking contracts today for the the next two segments, something that I feel like my expertise comes through a little bit more in than just recapping all-star events. So 
The question I think I get the most now, and for good reason, Jalen Smith, how can the Pacers re-sign him? And I did this a little bit when I broke down the Tory Craig-Jalen Smith trade on a podcast a few weeks ago, but I get why people still have questions about it and have asked about some of the cap maneuvering that goes on. So how can the Pacers keep Jalen Smith, who looks like a kind of solid player for them? Let's talk about all that. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at betonline.ag because football might be done for this season, but basketball is full steam ahead for both pro and college hoops. Plus, all-star stuff just happened, and you can get the latest odds, totals, player performance props, and even where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, your sports podcasts, your sports news. This season, it's all there. It's not just basketball. They've got you covered for hockey, boxing, UFC, the Olympics just wrapped up, but they had all that over there too. You've got to check it out. Head over to that website, betonline.net today, or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every single day. Let's talk about Jalen Smith contract. I get this question all the time. And it wasn't a big deal until he started playing well. Obviously, four games for Jalen Smith with the Pacers. Two starts, shoots 60% from the field, hit 46% of his threes, 12 points a game, six rebounds. This guy's awesome. Why'd the Suns give up on him? Well, first of all, pump the brakes. He was not very good for the Suns. And hitting six out of 13 threes is certainly going to make you look awesome. And I'm not saying that to be little Jalen Smith. He could thrive in this new situation. The Pacers could be perfect for him. I'm just saying it's a little early to say, wow, this guy is so awesome. We need to figure out everything about this guy. What can the Pacers do? They got screwed by the Suns' decision. So what happened here? What is the deal going on? Why is this rule in place? I think a lot of people have trouble with that. So what happened is Smith was the 10th pick, and everyone drafted in the first round. It's on a rookie-scale contract. So your first two years are guaranteed. Your third year has a team option, which you have to pick up after the first year of a player's career. And the fourth year has a team option, which has to be picked up after the second year of a player's career. Goga Batadze is on that contract. Isaiah Jackson, Duarte, uh, Tyrese Halberton still on his. That's how first round picks, that's the contract they're under. So the Suns declined after one year of Jalen Smith's career. They, they saw one rookie and they said, nope, we're good. We don't want his third year option on our books. And you, that is so rare. Like a top a lottery pick getting their third year option decline hasn't happened in like 20 years. It's super uncommon. Maybe it's like 12 years. It's a long time. It's over a decade. And so it's very rare. The Suns did it because they have Mikael Bridges' money coming up. They've got DeAndre Ayton's money coming up. They, Chris Paul's still expensive. Devin Booker's still expensive. They they will probably have to tweak their money situation next year They're, you know, because of what their team is. Declining Jalen Smith is an easy way to get off of $4 million. Okay, whatever. So they did it. And he wasn't good his rookie year. So it wasn't like so stunning. But usually, you know, top 10 picks get their third year option picked up. So what that means is... Once your team options get declined on a rookie-scale contract, if the team that declined that option wants to re-sign you, they cannot exceed the amount that that team option would have been. Why? Because every rookie is on rookie-scale deals, and what they don't want is, like, let's say the Pacers drafted Hal. Let's just use Duarte as an example. That actually is probably better. So the Pacers draft Duarte, and they realize in year one, and you all know this because you watch the Pacers if you're listening to the show, Chris Duarte is awesome. Holy cow. This guy's so good. And Chris Duarte's contract is super cheap because he's on this rookie scale deal. So what happened, what 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 this rule is to prevent is, you know, Chris Duarte's third-year team option right now is $4.1 million. Let's say Duarte's camp comes in and they're like, we want more than that ASAP. You know, what the Pacers could do is decline his third-year option and then just re-sign him to a max in his third year. But that would be, you know, that would be scurrying around the rookie scale. And the NBA doesn't want you to get around these rookie scale contracts they've set in place 
in the CBA. CBA has them like that because owners didn't want to shoot themselves in the foot with expensive draft picks. It's all very negotiation-based. But basically, they don't want you to get around the rookie scale and give these guys huge raises after their second year. So that's why you can't, what happens is if you decline a guy's option, you cannot exceed what his next year would have been on that deal. So the Suns declined Jalen Smith's option. When they trade him, all those contract rules apply to the Pacers, which is a little sucky for Jalen Smith and the Pacers, sort of, but not really because he could still sign for whatever for the team. So, in fact, him getting into a better situation is fine. It kind of sucks for the Pacers that the Suns' decision impacts them, but it's just how the rules work. So if the Pacers want to re-sign Jalen Smith, any deal that they sign him to would have to start at – 4.67 4.67 million next year. And they can only they, they can use early bird rights after that to get him to a four-year deal. So here's a question I've been asked a lot. Can the Pacers sign him to a deal that starts at that number and then the second year goes way up? Boom! Huge tons of money. No, they cannot. They have to use the early bird restriction to keep him on their team. So that is not allowed. So that is out of the picture. The only way they can keep him is using the contract structure that would have been in place for rookie scale for the first year and then using early bird rules for the rest of the contract. That sucks for the Pacers. It's kind of how it works for Jalen Smith in these exact situations that they want to prevent where he gets this huge pay bump. So the most the Pacers can offer him would be 8% raises off of that $4.67 million for a four-year early bird deal. The total there is four years, $21 million. Let me tell you something. I bet Jalen Smith would decline that, not because of the total money. You know, he hasn't really been like uh, he's played well for the Pacers, obviously, and he had that huge burst for the Suns in late December. Like he has good moments in his career. He could probably get something around that money. He doesn't want the four years. That's what I think is going to happen. So here's what I think the Pacers' best shot to getting him is. And I want to say something else after I say this. The best shot the Pacers have of getting him is probably, to me, a one plus one, a four-year, the or a two-year deal, excuse me, a two-year deal where the first year's at that $4.67 million number, the second year's at that $5 million number with an 8% raise, and it's a player option. Because then, here's what happens. If Jalen Smith comes back to the Pacers on that deal, and he is awesome in the first season, absolutely awesome, he can decline his player option, and he's a free agent again one year later. But at that point... The Pacers have full bird rights on him, and they can sign him for any amount. Rookie skill doesn't matter anymore. And if he sucks, then he picks up the player option and gets an extra $5 million. And then he hedges his own bets that he's not a good player. And he can get back into free agency as soon as possible if he wants to stay with the Pacers or something like that. That, I think, would be the Pacers' best way of keeping him. It's it's just shy of 2 for 10 with a player option. It's, ba- it's 2 for 9.7 million with a player option. I think that would be more appealing to Jalen Smith than a four-year deal where he locks it all in right away because he could then get back on the market if he continues to pop with this team. And I'm just guessing that's more appealing to him. You know, perhaps if he doesn't play that much the rest of the season, he would take something else. But that, I think, would be the Pacers' best carrot. If Jalen Smith is good the rest of the season for the Pacers and plays four and five, that's probably their best thing to offer. Now, another team could probably beat that, and I'll explain why in a second. Now, let's pause, though. Let's pump the brakes for a second, on this. I already talked about how he wasn't that good before the Pacers, and he's done well here. If he continues to play like that, what I'm about to say doesn't matter. But think about the healthy Pacers. <laughs> Knock on wood, they've never been healthy. But think about this in the front court. Miles will start at the four or at the five. O'Shea's probably going to start at the four. Although TJ Warren could come back at some point and maybe start at the four. Plus, Isaiah Jackson's going to have to be in that mix, right? They already have a lot of guys. Plus, Terry Taylor's in that mix. And Rick Carlisle's been playing Terry ahead of Jalen 
Smith in recent games. That's already four bigs in that spot. Plus, they'd probably like to play Isaiah Jackson at the four, which is something they said they wanted to do when they drafted him, right? Plus, Gogo Batadze's in the mix. How does he fit in? How can they get him in that rotation as well? There's a lot of names. And I would maybe you want to play Jalen Smith over Goga. I don't, but I get why some fans might. But, but, but Jalen Smith, probably, unless you put him ahead of Terry Taylor, which Terry Taylor's been better than him, even recently with Jalen playing well, he might not play when the Pacers are healthy at all. So that will suppress his value to a point where the Pacers could just afford to keep him anyway. And two, pump the brakes because <laughs> he's shooting really well from three. Who knows how he'll look when that's not happening now. He's also shooting well from two. Wait, and the, the thing about it is he's shooting 68% from two for the Pacers. He never shot above 57% from two for the Suns, even at his best, right? So he could be good. This could just be the perfect situation for him. He clicks with this team and these stats are real. And then they probably can't afford him. But pump the brakes. Let's see how this evens out when he plays more, if he even plays more. If he doesn't play that much, it'll be way easier to keep him. His value won't get that high if he only ends up playing, you know, the Pacers have, what, 20 games left, 21 games left? If he only ends up playing in 15 total games for the Pacers, his value's not going to get that sky high. So that's a discussion. Sorry, I just bumped my mic. That might have been loud. So last thing on this. The reason this all might not matter part two is even if Jalen Smith doesn't play that much for the Pacers the rest of the year, who's to stop Detroit or some other crappy team with cap space next year from just going, yeah, here's one for $10 million. The risk for them is so low. They don't care. He's just a young guy who's a top 10 pick and has some potential and can play center for them. Detroit's just a bad team with cap space. It could be a number of teams. And the mid-level exception is almost $10 million. Quite frankly, any team, even over the cap teams, could sign Jalen Smith to almost twice as much as the Pacers can. And that might be a worthy risk for them because he was such a high pick and he's still super young. So, yes, the Pacers' two-year deal at $10 million is their best offer to me. But he could get one year $10 million from a number of teams using their mid-level exception very easily. And then the Pacers have a little shot unless he wants to say, unless his camp wants to say, thank you for saving my career or like giving me court time. Sure, I'll give you a shot. So to keep Jalen Smith, the best thing the Pacers could do is not play him. But then he's not developing or getting any better. And you know, you're, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Maybe he wants to leave where he can get opportunity. So finding the balance where you play him, but he's also not so good that he outplays his contract, but you also need him to want to stay. It's very tough for me to see how this all shakes out in the perfect way for the Pacers. It's probably just they find 10 minutes for him every game and his stats are, oh, eh, but he still flashes some potential and then he's willing to come back on that one plus one. I think that's probably the best way it plays out for the Pacers, but it's tough. These situations are tricky because of the rules and, the Pacers did this deal for him, to, you know, obviously to see him play a little bit, but more so for the, the savings in the Craig trade. So we will see where this shakes out. But that's the situation with him. That's what I think the Pacers' best offer is, why I think he might not take it, what his outlook might be. You know, He might be looking for more opportunity next year than the Pacers can even offer beyond the money, right? I have no idea what his thinking is at this time. So we'll see. We will see. But their limitations certainly hurt them there. On a Better cap news for the Pacers. Tristan Thompson's buyout is official. The Pacers saved some money after all, as I surmised, but didn't want to say for sure last week. So let's talk about that, how it helps the Pacers, what they can do now, all that good stuff. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at Bilt Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars ever. And I am not just saying that. A ton of listeners have tried them and said they love them. And you have got to be next to try them. They have these puff flavors with marshmallow infusion. They have a bunch of sweet flavors. They have a bunch of fruity flavors. It doesn't matter what you like. They've got something for you, and they're all 100% covered 
and real chocolate protein bars that are actually good. They're a treat, unlike every protein bar basically you can buy in the store that, as Nate Duncan says, tastes like the inside of a sawmill. Instead, Built Bars are delicious, tons of incredible flavors, 100% covered in chocolate, including those puff ones. Low calorie, high protein, so they're healthy for you too. You can go to Built.com and see all the macros, but most of them have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. You'll be blown away. You just got to try them, seriously. I have one almost every day at work for lunch now, and I recommend you try them too. Go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen every single day as we continue through the All-Star break. Some fun shows coming up the rest of this week you won't want to miss. Let's talk about this Tristan Thompson buyout. It is now official, and Tristan Thompson is the real winner of this transaction. And I'll explain why, but really everybody wins. Unless the Bulls don't like his contributions, they could lose. But everybody wins. It's a rare win-win-win transaction. So it was a buyout. Rick Carlisle said the Pacers are going to waive him and get you know, some sort of something back. And so he gave back Tristan Thompson $774,289. That doesn't matter to you, the listener. I'm just saying the exact number. That is from the day he signed with the Bulls on Saturday to the end of the season, the exact prorated minimum amount he would earn with a new team. So what he did is, this is all confusing. Tristan Thompson agreed with the Pacers, hey, Change You can change the guaranteed amount of my contract. I agree to that. And so they lower it by exactly that much, and then they just waive him. His contract is ratified. Ba-boom. They owe him that much less now. He clears waivers on Saturday, and then the Bulls sign him for that much. That's what it that sounded like it was going to be. Instead, the Bulls sign him using the BAE for a million dollars. So Tristan Thompson ends up making more money from this. He ends up making an extra 250 k basically. Good for him to, to make more money and get to go to a title contending team in Chicago. So the Pacers save that much, but actually they save a little more because the way minimum contracts work and the way the salary works in the NBA is you basically on a minimum deal get paid on a daily rate. Like every day your cap head goes up by that exact same rate for the whole duration of the season from day one to day, the last one. So by that, this happening on the all-star break, these days count towards the regular season calendar. So the Pacers, because Tristan signed with the Bulls on Saturday and cleared waivers on Saturday, now get savings from Saturday to whenever they sign someone to a minimum contract for the rest of the season. And they could technically use the rest of their non-taxpayer MLE to sign someone, although they're close enough to the hard cap that they probably won't do that. But the minimum amount that they will sign someone for, whatever that happens to be, will be lower than the amount that they bought out Thompson for. So the Pacers not only get the savings that they got from Tristan Thompson, they get almost a full week of all-star break savings by doing this. So Tristan Thompson helped out the Pacers by taking a buyout. He gets the minimum back from the Bulls and more. And this timing is very good for them. So this is really good stuff from Tristan Thompson's group. He's with Clutch, and you never want to have a bad relationship with Clutch Sports in the NBA, honestly. Um, So... I get why the Bulls did that. And to be honest, he's like, he's good. You know, we saw what he did for the Pacers. Uh, So it's not like surprising that that happened or anything like that. It's just always funny to see those guys get more money uh, after they get bought out. Right. So Tristan Thompson ends up switching teams midseason and getting a pay bump. You know, it's always pretty funny when that kind of stuff happens. So what are the Pacers, can the Pacers do now? I talked about this a little last week, but now that it's set in stone that they saved money, I'll run through those options again at least to the extent that I 
can explain them. So they're about, I have to, I haven't updated my capture yet. Cause again, I was on vacation, but just going off of memory and, and what the savings are probably about 1.5 million now away from the luxury tax line. Woo. Great news. If you're the Pacers, cause now if buddy healed, it's all his bonuses. You're still shy of the luxury tax. That's your biggest worry. Technically miles Turner's bonuses still matter here. So maybe they're a little skittish about the luxury tax still. And I'd understand that. I would totally get that if I'm them. So we'll see what they actually do. Maybe they wait even longer in the season just to be extra, extra safe, which I get. Maybe Turner returns and looks fantastic on defense. One of his bonuses is for all defense kind of stuff. Who knows? But what they can do is they can sign another player now, which maybe they scoop up a mad ant. Maybe they scoop up someone you know who gets waived as a result of about like Alfonso McKinney just got waived by the Bulls so that they could get Tristan Thompson, right? And McKinney's not, like, playing for the Bulls that much anymore. He was really helpful for them during the hardship times. He's, like, okay. He's really tight with Kiefer Sykes, ironically. He's a wing. He's 6'7". The Pacers could always use wings. Like, he's a fine NBA player. You know, that's not a terrible idea to grab him off waivers or even just wait till he clears and then sign him. Javon Carter just got waived by the net so they could sign Goran Dragic, right? Like, he's a 26-year-old decent point guard, 32nd pick a couple years ago. Has done well for several teams. He was on the Suns team that made the finals last year and played in their playoffs a few times. Right? He's a good player. Maybe they scoop him up when he clears waivers or scoop him up off waivers. Now they can do that. They could not have done that before. So there are options of just general free agents that are available now or could become available because of the buyouts coming up that mean it could be that the Pacers wait till like March 2nd even to do this. March 2nd is the day after buyouts, and then they would know who all is available or who all could become available. So they could just sign someone. There are a number, I I mean, going through the list of minimum guys is an exhausting, exhausting exercise. There's a billion, trillion random free agents that make sense. It's like the Pacers could just sign any young guy. That would make sense. The Pacers could sign any wing. That would kind of make sense, especially with Warren still injured. So running through that list is not worth it. I just picked two guys who have been waived in recent days. What does make sense to me still would be converting Terry Taylor or Dwayne Washington's two-way contract to a standard minimum contract. Those would be pretty cheap, especially compared to Thompson's buyout. It would still keep the Pacers pretty safe from the tax. It would reward those guys for their good play, allow the Pacers to give them maybe a two- or three-year deal so they're locked up with the team long-term. You go on and on about the benefits of it. Now, they don't have to do that. They have that guy, those guys under contract for the rest of the season as is, and then they can make them a restricted free agent, which for the Pacers sounds great. It kind of sucks for the two-way guys and – this is a weird year for two ways that they all have been since COVID started uh, hitting the NBA because the rules keep changing. But that's what I would do if I were the Pacers. I would convert one of Dwayne Washington or Terry Taylor's deals and then sign someone new on one of those two-way deals because they're allowed to do that for the remainder of the season. So they have a lot of options now that they got savings from Tristan Thompson. Had He didn't have to ratify the amount of guaranteed money he had on his deal. He could have just said, no, I'm good. You either cut me or I'm staying. And, you know, he did. He himself got more money, obviously, and the Pacers got savings, and the Bulls got a player who will probably be backup center for them. So everybody wins. Everybody's happy with how the transaction shook out. It's just kind of confusing to explain to people how buyouts work and why everybody does it. So that's why Thompson did it. That's why the Pacers did it. That's why the Bulls did it. And that is what the Pacers can do now. They could sign someone new. They even could just sit on the roster spot in the savings, which is a slap in the face to fans in a way, but with how close to the tax they are. It kind of makes sense, and I never want to say that, that a team should avoid the tax, but the Pacers suck, and if they avoid the tax now means that Herb Simon's more likely to want to pay it in the future. That is something fans can root for, and in that case, they should try to duck it this year. So 
We'll see what ends up happening. I would think today, I'm talking Monday, you're going to hear this at earliest, Tuesday the 22nd. I would expect the earliest you'll see someone signed by the Pacers is Thursday the 24th, but it could be uh, it's like Wednesday the 2nd or even the 3rd when those guys clear waivers. Wednesday, March 3rd, that they actually officially add someone to the Tristan Thompson spot or convert someone and add a two-way guy behind whoever they convert. That's what I think, just knowing the cap rules, knowing the mechanics of how this stuff works and what the Pacers could be thinking. But I don't know. They could do a lot of stuff. They've made some interesting on-the-fringe signings the last few years. They could do 10-day deals as well, and that is always stuff that you can never predict is who they'd want to bring in on a 10-day, and that would uh, that would still merit them the most flexibility. So that might be what they do too. They could bring in a number of free agents on a 10-day as well. I have no idea what they're thinking, but those are the options they have now. 10-day, conversion, Sign a guy. We'll see what they do, but they have these options now thanks to Tristan Thompson agreeing to all this. And that's where the Pacers stand cap-wise. I updated the Jalen Smith thing. I got the Tristan Thompson thing. We're caught up. So what's coming up on Lockdown Pacers? We'll see. I thought I had guests booked. We'll see. I haven't quite lined it up the way I hoped. We might be doing a mailbag later this week. Friday we're talking about what the Pacers should focus on the rest of the season. We'll see what the rest of the shows are this week, quite frankly. So just stay tuned. I promise they'll be fun and interesting. And I do have some cool guests coming in the next two weeks for sure at some point. The question is when. So we'll see. Thank you guys a ton for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. Hope everybody's having a good week and enjoying All-Star Weekend. We'll be back tomorrow talking Pacers as usual. Everybody have a great day and we will see you then.